0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to our podcast. It's Isabella and Andrew. So this week's episode is going to be another dark one for we are going to be discussing suicide. We aren't going to dive into diagnosis too much, but rather focusing on what causes suicide and how we handle it in a professional setting.
1: So there are a lot of causes that could relate to an individual wanting to commit suicide. We typically like to associate it with disorders like depression, bipolar disorder, and schizophrenia. However, even individuals who don't have a diagnosis can be having some suicidal ideations. There are a multitude of reasons why an individual can be having those ideations, and there is no right or wrong answer, but we as clinicians want to do, right, what we want to do is gather the individual's thoughts that are associated with their suicidal ideations so we can understand why they feel that way and see what potential changes need to be made for them to change their mind. So as unfortunate as this is, us clinicians are always risk assessing for suicide for our high-risk clients. And through running that risk assessment, we can see just how serious an individual's intent is when it comes to committing suicide. And also find out the means that they have to go out and commit suicide. So a typical risk assessment, this is something that, you know, we ask at the Crisis Center. I deal with a lot of patients who have had history of suicidal ideations. And this is what, you know, I like to ask whenever i'm running my risk assessment so i always make sure to ask these following four questions Mm -hmm. have you had any thoughts of suicide in the past week are you still having thoughts of suicide as we currently speak if you are having plans how would you go about doing it and do you have access to anything that you could use to harm yourself Mm
0: -hmm.
1: so i like to ask those four questions to really get the individual's motivation Ideations, anything, you know, any information that they can give me that might tell me that, okay, this individual could potentially be a threat to themselves.
0: What age group usually does this occur? Around?
1: Believe it or not, the age group that actually has the highest risk of suicide is individuals who are older than 85. Oh, really? Yeah. And that's because, unfortunately, you know, they've lost a lot of loved ones in their life, right. they're retired. They're bored. Right. You know, some of them may have like physical health problems as well. Right. I'm not sure if like assisted suicide or euthanasia is accounted for in that factor. Mm. We're not talking about that. That's a completely different subject. Mm. We're talking about, you know, non assisted, like solo suicide, if right. that makes sense. Right. But the age group that I typically work with is teenagers and young adolescents. Is
0: it more common in?
1: So suicidal ideations are more common in females. Suicide attempts are more common in males. So females are more likely to have thoughts of suicide, mm-hmm. but males are more likely to actually go out and try to commit suicide. Yeah, it really is. About it. Um, it's very important to ask these four questions when you're risk assessing for that would give you information on the individual's intentions, means of access, plans, and thoughts additionally what i like to do at least i don't know if you know other counselors do this but what i like to do is ask the individual about their support system and how many people are aware of their current state of mind Mm -hmm. the reason why i like to say this is because if the individual lives alone and doesn't have anyone to watch over them they are more likely to commit suicide over someone who doesn't have that active support system and doesn't have too much alone time whenever you're alone your thoughts can spiral out of control and you may not have a support system that can bring you back to baseline
0: yeah when you're in your own mindset your mind like takes control over everything and then like you get in your own headspace and you start like spiraling and thinking about things you usually like wouldn't think about
1: exactly so i do have like some consumers that live alone um and those are the consumers that i want to watch out for the most because you know, whenever you're alone there's nobody there to stop you from doing things that right. you wouldn't want to do.
0: Right, is it common like um for people like our age to be seeing something like this? Or like people who live lives like we do, for them to like be going through something like this? Or do you think people with like trauma or like um like past issues, is it more common to see something like this?
1: I mean, trauma and previous, you know, issues like you mentioned in your life are definitely contributors to suicidal ideations, but there's a multitude of other factors as well. and It doesn't necessarily matter the age group. It just matters where you're at currently with your life. You know, I mean, we, we are, you're 18 and I'm 21. You know, we're college students. College is a very stressful time. You know, and college is a time where individuals may be experiencing some pretty traumatic things. You know, I'm not going to talk about what goes on in the dorm rooms, but that can be very traumatic for some people. And that could contribute to some, you know, ideations, right? Individuals may have mistakes that they make in college about the education that they receive and about the actions they do outside of the classroom. And not being able to process and handle those thoughts in a healthy way could lead an individual to have ideations whether they act on it or not depends on how good their support system is and how good coping skills they have and in general just how serious the uh, ideations yeah. are and how well they're able to recover from the events that transpired mm-hmm. but the ideations exist in more people than you may think
0: do these ideations like um like do people does one thing cause this like ideation or this thought of suicide or is it like a built-up of like many thoughts and like
1: many actions
0: or can like one major thing like cause this ideation
1: i honestly think it really depends on the person everyone is different you know some people are able to handle stress better than others and for some people who aren't able to handle stress very well one major you know life-changing event could cause them to have those ideations right for some people, you know, they they have a very high stress tolerance and, you know, a big bundle up of negative life events is not going to throw them off. You know, it'll take a lot more for them to want to have these suicidal ideations compared to someone who doesn't have that right support system and coping skills in place.
0: Okay, yeah, that makes
1: sense. Yeah. So, of course, you know, I always ask them why they are feeling the way that they do, right? And the reason why I ask them why is to try to see if there are any lifestyle changes that could be made to decrease some of their depressive emotions. So, based off of my experience a lot of suicidal individuals that I have worked with at the crisis center feel like they are a burden on their families and a burden on society. They feel like they can't handle things on their own and they're upset that they need to rely on other people for basic health care and safe and self-care and safety needs, right? This would be an example of a lifestyle change that could be made to decrease any symptoms of depression or suicidal ideation. Mm-hmm. When it comes to suicide prevention, it's a team effort, and therapists may collaborate a lot with families of the patient as well, not only to assure their safety, but to also work on potential lifestyle adjustments that could benefit the needs of the consumer.
0: Is it common for a therapist to, um, because therapists have to keep everything controversial, but is it common? when a therapist sees something like this, like a suicide attempt or suicide ideation for them to not keep it controversial anymore and for them to reach out to families?
1: So with every consumer that we work with, we have them sign a release of information. Mm -hmm. And what that does is it it essentially gives us permission to work with other individuals Mm -hmm. about this this person's Mm -hmm. case, right? Now, these are individuals that the uh, person gives us their phone numbers to and gives us consent to speak to. But as long as they sign that release of information, I'm sorry, I I may have said return of information beforehand. It's called a a release of information. As long as they sign that, that gives us permission to collaborate with, you know, maybe any other mental health consumers that they're seeing, you know, doctors, uh, psychiatrists, family members. Right. You know, we, we are a crisis center and we have release of information at our crisis center and that gives us permission to speak to our consumers primary therapists and i have spoken to a bunch of them before yeah. and that's for the well-being of our client yeah. so as long as they provide you with that release of information you can go and speak to this individual support network right. okay. so i've also worked with a client with persistive depressive disorder refer to our previous episode if you want to learn more about pdd with individuals like that, it's really difficult because they usually aren't receptive to therapy. Usually it's going to take months, maybe even years in some cases, for them to start seeing change. I think it's important to keep a sense of accountability with the patients for this specific disorder and remind them that if they aren't willing to change, then they're not going. And they're just going to continue living the way that they are. So it's only harming them if they keep making excuses on why they refuse to change their behavior. But... A very common characteristic that we see with individuals who are having thoughts like this, you know, suicidal ideations and just these really intrusive and impulsive thoughts is that they spend a lot of time isolated and that is due mostly to personal choice. Mm -hmm. We spoke a little bit earlier about how individuals who spend a lot of time alone and live alone are Mm -hmm. at higher risk compared to those who have, you know, family members in the home. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, when you're alone, no one's there to stop you and your thoughts sometimes get the best of you. One thing that I have noticed with a lot of individuals who are having these ideations is that they are very isolated. They spend a lot of time alone.
0: I feel like for everyone, like whenever anyone's alone and in a setting, they get too much in their headspace. Like this, this happens with everyone. Like it happens with in our day to day lives when we're alone, just in our room, you get too much in your headspace, and there is nothing that can really stop you and calm you down. So I feel like especially for people who are going through these like um, thoughts about suicide or these like attempts they need to have someone that's like constantly there to like support them and talk to them
1: exactly and we work and when we work with clients with suicidal ideations and clients with depression sometimes we're not even doing like any cognitive stuff like we're not doing like any yeah. actual therapy if that makes sense sometimes we're really just examining their day-to-day life and examining their lifestyle and seeing if there's any lifestyle factors that contribute to their depression and maybe all we would need to do is change those lifestyle factors. Maybe we wouldn't even need to analyze any thoughts and, you know, work on cognitive reconstruction. Sometimes a simple lifestyle change can make a huge difference. And that that goes especially well with isolation. You know, if you're isolated and if you're living in four walls and not spending any time outside around other people, you're more likely to have feelings of depression compared to someone who has an active social life. So making that simple lifestyle adjustment can be, have a huge boost in your self-esteem. Yeah. You know. So obviously, right, this isolation is a huge contributor towards suicidal ideations, Right, for those individuals are not going out and occupying their mind with other thoughts. Mm-hmm. And as a result, their suicidal thoughts are a lot louder when they're isolated and alone, for they're almost voluntarily choosing to engage in them by not doing anything to distract themselves. Plus, you know, if you go out and explore things and talk to different people, naturally, you'll just feel better, right? Right. For there will be things and people that you enjoy. A really good thing that I always like to recommend to my consumers is to start exercising, start working out. Because you see see yourself, right? In your body, you see the progress that you made. And naturally, we feel good when we see progress, especially if it's something that benefits us. Mm -hmm. That's also another lifestyle change that can have a positive trend towards suicidal ideations. So this simple change would be an example of a lifestyle change like i mentioned rather than a cognitive change that would involve extensive reconstruction of the individual's thoughts and quite honestly recovery really down really comes down to excuse me recovery really comes down to a combination of both right mm-hmm. lifestyle changes and cognitive changes right So I've worked with a lot of individuals who have had previous suicide attempts. And one thing that I found to be really common for a lot of the survivors is that lifestyle adjustments like finding employment when previously struggling to and forming meaningful relationships have helped them out more than clinical interventions. There are gonna be times when as a therapist, certain factors are out of your control. As it relates to clientele struggling to obtain employment, the most you can do is provide them with the right direction to look. You know, maybe like redirecting them to job sites like Mm -hmm. Monster Indeed, right? But there's no cognitive reconstruction that you need to work on with with them, right? If an individual is coming saying that he's feeling depressed due to not finding employment, cognitively, you know, that cognitive behavior therapy is not going to be as beneficial to them as simply just walking them through how to obtain a job or where to, you know re guiding them and redirecting them to different job sites where they can find a job so it's all about catering to your consumer's needs and what can benefit them the most right and that will be the case sometimes therapy isn't always going to be giving advice and analyzing thoughts sometimes it's just being a pair of ears so every time i meet my individuals or previous attempts for their weekly or bi-weekly checkups i always risk assess them by asking them those four questions that i talked about earlier and I asked them about their current state of mind and if they're currently having suicidal ideations. I run the risk assessment that I mentioned earlier and if a patient admits to having current ideations and having a current plan with any access to weapons in place then the biggest priority at that point is guaranteeing the individual's safety. Mm -hmm. What this look like may be a potential hospital stay. What our agency does is call LA County Mental Health who works with 911. And they'll also come pick the individual up evaluate them by also running their own risk assessment which is a little bit more intensive and if needed they may transfer them to a local hospital
0: are there things other than hospitals that like these types of people can go to because i feel like if they're like put in a hospital that doesn't like benefit them in any way
1: well actually what the hospital does is it straps them down depending on how much of a danger they are to themselves right so it straps them down and keeps them safe like, going to the hospital is the best place to keep someone safe. And many individuals who have had suicidal ideations or suicide attempts and survive actually end up checking themselves into a hospital.
0: Do those people ever get into, like, rehab?
1: Like, well, rehab would consist mostly of, like, cognitive behavior therapy. That would be, like, their version of rehab, but yes, they do, you know? And hospitals have access to psychiatrists who could administer medications if needed. And there's also you know, mental health counseling available at most hospitals as well. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, medication is typically SSRIs, which increases the level of serotonin in the brain. Low levels of serotonin are linked to depression, and that's the role of SSRIs, uh, increasing the level of serotonin in the brain. But yes, like you mentioned, yes, you know, going to hospitals is a great place to assure the individual's safety because they'll be strapped Mm -hmm. down. So they won't, you know, they'll be protected from any harm that could come their way.
0: So it's more of a going to the hospital is more physically controlling them rather than mentally i guess because if they go to the hospital that like i feel like that mentally brings them down but like physically it would help them because they wouldn't harm themselves
1: exactly but they'll also be getting that mental health mental health as well because there are psychiatrists at the hospital and there are counselors at the hospital as well that specify in mental health you know for suicidal attempts as well yeah that's true So we usually only get to that point where we need hospitalization when the individual is currently having ideations with an active plan already in place, Mm -hmm. right? Most of the time, clients are receptive, for they do want the help. And most suicidal individuals actually don't want to die. They just want their problems to go away. There was an interview that I watched one time where they interviewed individuals with past suicide attempts. And one thing that they all had in common, it was three people. One thing that they all had in common was that As they were jumping or as they were, you know, going forward with their attempt, right? They were all had one thing in common, right? They heard a voice in their head as they were falling down that told them that they don't want to die. So I watched this interview of this one guy who lived in San Francisco and he jumped off of the Golden Gate Bridge into the water and he stated he survived and he stated that as he was going down, you know. His mind changed completely. He's like, I don't want to die anymore. I don't want to die anymore. There was something in his head that stated, okay, tilt your body backwards so that you land. I I, I forgot how it was. Yeah, I think it was like, I don't I think it was feet first or something. So you land feet first so that you don't die, right? So like he had that voice in his head that all of a sudden changed his mindset and he didn't want to die anymore. And that only happened as he was falling down. There's a quote um, that came from that same interview that said suicidal individuals are very uh, ambivalent. You know, they're torn between the decision of life and death. And as they were going forward with their their attempt, their decision became very clear that they wanted to live. Mm -hmm. Now, most individuals who successfully do, or I shouldn't say most, all individuals who successfully complete a suicide attempt Mm -hmm. may not have had that, enough time to have that change right to have that voice actively say that they want to survive you know they may not have had that enough time right because if you take pills or if you use a firearm right you'll die much quicker compared to if you're falling down a bridge into water now if you're falling down into like concrete that's a different story and i didn't mean to get so graphical but i'm just saying that to describe the thoughts that we have as we're physically going forward with our attempt, if that makes sense. But, you know, this goes to show that most individuals do want and need the help. Maybe they just don't know how to go about asking for it. But this brings up a very valuable observation, like I mentioned, that suicidal individuals are ambivalent, right? They're torn between the idea of life or death. Once they actually take the steps necessary to commit suicide and don't die instantly, their thoughts change and they want to live again. Yeah. And you know we talked about individuals who use firearms as a primary way to commit suicide. Previous police reports actually have stated, right? Previous police reports and autopsies have found alcohol to have been used with firearms for successful suicide attempts regarding firearms. The reason for this alcohol use is because alcohol hinders your consciousness and reduces some of those regretful thoughts associated with suicide. So alcohol turns off that voice, mm-hmm. kind of. Like It kind of turns it off. It turns off that voice that's telling you, yeah. hey, I still want to live. You know, maybe let's not go forward with this. That's why they drink alcohol whenever they're using a firearm, right? But yes, regretting your decision and having second thoughts is very common with suicidal behavior. And unfortunately, many individuals who have had previous attempts of suicide do not seek help until after they survive their first attempt. Yeah. So they have to go forward with that first attempt in order to seek the help that they really need. So we know that there are lifestyle changes that an individual can try to reduce their suicidal ideations. But in therapy, the therapist might look at challenging the individual's thoughts and teaching them how to replace those intrusive thoughts with more positive alternatives. This is usually done by addressing the underlying mental disorders that are associated with suicidal ideations, like the aforementioned depression, bipolar, and schizophrenia, just to name a few, not limited to just those, by the way. So one exercise that I personally like to do is I like to tell my patients to keep a gratitude journal. I like to work on their self-esteem by asking them at the beginning of every session to name five things about themselves that they like. I like to do this because if they're struggling to find five things, that is usually a sign that their self-esteem isn't very high at the moment, mm-hmm. and that would be the topic of the session. If they're able to name five things, then we would focus less on self-esteem and more so on managing thoughts and controlling impulses.
0: I feel like everyone should keep a gratitude journal. Oh, I have definitely. one. A lot of my friends have one. Definitely. It helps as your day-to-day like confidence boost.
1: Definitely. You know, for the gratitude journal, right, I would ask the patient to keep a log of three things that they were grateful for every single day. I do this to help bring awareness to them that there is a lot in their current life that they're already grateful for, that they may not know, and raising awareness of that would help them realize that there's a lot that they have to live for. I don't usually assign homework to my patients, but this would be one time where I do. I also might have them do a thought journal, where every day they journal down the thoughts that they have, whether it be good or bad. If they consent to it, I'll have them do it on a shared Google Doc so that I can read it too before our own sessions and address some of those concerning things that I see. But I only do this though with individuals who have trouble sharing their thoughts in person. For that way, I still get to see what's going on in their head, whether they have trouble sharing it verbally.
0: I feel like writing out your thoughts too is also very helpful, especially like whenever you're caught up in your own headspace and you're alone and like there's no one to help you. If you write out your thoughts i feel like at least you get it out somewhere and it's on the paper and it's not caught up in your head anymore like you write it on the paper and you put it away and you know that's closed for the exactly day. yeah that's
1: exactly what the thought journal is and that's yeah. that's a homework assignment that i like to assign to individuals you know yeah. i don't i don't usually assign homework assignments but this would be one of the rare instances where i do
0: yeah no i i, I agree with that
1: You know and every therapist is different in their approach towards handling um suicidal individuals and individuals who have had previous suicidal episodes you know some individuals may have different um cognitive behavior strategies and different homework assignments that they might assign i'm just sharing my personal preferences and what i have used in the past that has found to be helpful but with all that being said you know we want to thank you guys so much for listening to this episode Mm -hmm. We apologize that it was a little bit dark, but this it is something an important that yeah, topic
0: we had to talk about especially absolutely. considering what our podcast is all about.
1: It's, absolutely. This is something that I've been very excited to talk about, mm-hmm. and I'm very glad that I had the opportunity to share with all of our listeners. Thank you so much for supporting us, and please be sure to listen, like, and share to help us grow our channel. Thank you so much, and Bye. we'll see you next time.